Well, it is the season, and um, I'm reminded that uh, for a lot of you in the audience, let's just be really honest. It's all about the gifts. <laughs> I mean, you can act like you're not all excited, but hey, even if you're my age, you're kind of excited about Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and it's changed a little bit. Tomorrow night, I will tell you the most unbelievable Christmas Eve story when I was 10, but you got to come tomorrow night. But the bottom line is some of you might relate to this kid. He was also 10. He really wants a new bike for Christmas. And he tells his mom um, that he wants the bike, but mom tells him, honey, we just, we really can't af afford it. But he keeps asking, so he finally, sh she says, well, honey, why don't you just pray about it? So he he kneels down in his room, and he starts praying very fervently. And he says, dear God, because this year I've been a perfect boy, I'd like you to give me a bike. And then he stops. He, he, he starts his prayer again. Because most of the time I've been really good. And then he stops again. He begins again for the third time. Because occasionally... I've obeyed my parents. And then he stops for good, and he's beside himself. He doesn't know what to pray. And so then he, he heads to the living room. And now, this was a very devout Catholic family. And so he saw the statue of Mary right there on the, on the mantle. And so he grabs the statue. He wraps it in a blanket. He stuffs it underneath his bed. He kneels by his bed again, and he begins to pray, Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, <laughs> we, we go to great lengths at asking God for what we want. It's good to laugh. It's good. It, it, laughter is good for the soul. And even this morning, as we think about what we've looked at in lighting each of these Advent candles. We've looked at Joseph's perspective. We've looked at, last week, the shepherd's perspective. And today, I want to bring you back to Luke chapter 2, and we want to look at it from the angel's perspective. Now, that's a bit of a problem. I just kind of admit to you, it's a bit of a problem because over the centuries, our culture has grabbed onto this idea of angels, haven't we? We love the idea of these well-meaning, benevolent, powerful beings who in our minds have nothing better to do than to solve our problems. And so we've been bombarded by images just like this. Well, we, we see these pictures of angels, but it leaves us with less than a biblical view of what angels actually do and what they're about. But it's well documented in Scripture. 
And so I want to suggest as you turn to Luke chapter 2 one more time, if you would stand with me in honor of God's word, I want to read this text to you one more time. And we're going to look at it from the angel's perspective. In Luke chapter 2, verse 9, it says again, And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terribly frightened. Verse 10, And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign for you. You shall find the baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And then verse 13, And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Or as it says in the New American Standard, With whom he is well pleased. And when it came about, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds began saying to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. You may be seated. And so this morning, we want to look at what can we learn from the angelic response in Luke chapter 2, what's applicable to us today. I'd like you to take out your uh, outlines and it's just a little front-back thing, and we're going to look at the angels from a heavenly perspective, not an earth angel perspective. First principle comes right out of verse 9, the reassurance by the angel of the Lord. The angels were come to reassuring uh, these shepherds. Let me make three ideas clear to us from verses 9 and 10. Number one, seeing God in His full glory can be frightening. If you were ever confronted with the living God, the holy creator of the universe, it's a frightening experience because the enormity of God and our minuscule nature in comparison is quite the contrast. And when the angels declare God's glory, it's, it's transcendent and it's terrifying at the same time. That's why Moses, when he came down from the mountain, what, did he, what was different about his countenance? He shone, we're talking about instant glorification, not that he became perfect, but there was a glow about him. You talk about, you know, um, being exposed to the elements, the glory of God seared his soul. Number two, fear robs us of our joy. This angel comes to declare to these shepherds that there's a Messiah, there's a baby to be born, and fear instantly grips their soul. Now, why is that? Last week we said, remember, angels typically, when they come to make an announcement, it is not good news. And so they thought, uh-oh, what have we done? Here they are raising the sheep that would sacrificially be slaughtered in the future, and they're wondering if there's a problem. But every time we see this in context, we understand that God uses fear for a reason. 375 times in the Bible, you hear these two little words. What are they? Fear not. Now, that just tells me that there are lots of things that cause us to be afraid, and constantly the, the message for today is when you are fearful, your joy is going to dissipate. It'll disappear. 
Now, some of us are more fearful than others, just as a way of life. Some of you are fearless. I'm pretty sure for those who are fearless, it all began as a small child when your dad told you to walk along the, the fence like this, and he said he'd catch you and said, oh, my bad. No, and then he caught you, right? You have, some of you are just fearless. I'm doing a wedding of a, of a, a couple that met in Australia last year, and you know, she's fearless, the kinds of things that she has done. As I was meeting with her yesterday, I thought, man, I hope this guy likes adventure because this woman is willing to travel the world and do almost anything for adventure. So fear robs us, but what about those of us in a more mundane position in life? Fear grips us when we're waiting for the results of that biopsy, doesn't it? Or when the financial crisis that caused you to have to short sell your home, where am I going to live? What are we going to do? Or your inability to find a job. Or you find out that your daughter is pregnant. And then what's worse is she says she's going to get an abortion. Fear grips our souls. And for some, when your spouse tells you, that they want out of a marriage. You see, all of us experience fear at a different level. For me, I remember being fearful, but it usually was when I was younger, and it had to do with dark places and, you know, you know imaginary things that were underneath my bed. Does, has anybody ever had that dream or fear that something was under your bed? Did any of you have a demented sibling who actually was <laughs> under the bed? Therefore, my fear was justified. I did not have a demented sibling, but I might have been that one. I'll just leave it at that. Number three, not only do we see God in his full glory, that can be frightening, that fear robs us of our joy, but the gospel is for everyone. See that at the end of verse nine, I bring you, or verse 10, I bring you good noise of great joy, which will be for how many people? All the people. This is a message for everyone. And that includes people different from you. People you would have never expected to be crossing your path. For some of you who are sitting on this side of the audience, we have interpretation going on because we have some friends from Panama. And Romina is interpreting for her sister right now. And so, uh, if you know Spanish, you can listen in and see if she's translating it properly, all right? But Romina and I came in contact about a month ago through her boyfriend, Manuel. And I told you about a month ago, and she has asked me to tell you why they're here, and it's a very sad day for them. You see, the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for Manuel, who came to my office. Nancy knew that something was wrong. There was a desperation in his voice. And she said, Pastor, you need to talk to him. And I did. And for the next hour, we talked about his cancer and his uncertainty about life and his future. And we talked about trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, and right there in my office, Manuel prayed to receive Christ. A couple weeks later, he was in the services, 
And our elders gathered and laid hands on him to pray for him because the cancer was inoperable. And then unfortunately, I got a call the week later from Romina and, and he was at USC Medical Center. And they were trying to see if there was anything they could do for him and they sent him home. And th just this morning, Romina came and told me that Manuel died on December 12th, a week and a half ago. And so the gospel is for everyone. There wasn't a chance that he happened to just happen to come by. God had ordained that. And Romina, I'll tell you this, and I tell your, your uh, um, Manuel's sister and, and mother that Manuel has a hope and a future. He is with Jesus in heaven. The Christ child that was born that we celebrate tomorrow and the next day is the one who is the savior of the world. And so we, we weep with you. Our hearts are broken for you. But know that rest assured that he has a future and a hope. And I know it took a lot to be here today, but we're glad you're here with us, and we're praying for you. And so, the gospel is for everyone. That's why we do Christmas Eve. Folks, it's not so the agape singers can sing, it's so that the gospel can be presented and Jesus Christ can be lifted up. Well, what else happens from the angels? Not only do they reassure the shepherds, but look at the revelation by the angel of the Lord in verses 11 and 12. Today in the city of David, there's been born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So there's two revelations, one in regard to the Son and one in regard to the sign. Let's look at the, the, the message regarding the Son. He is born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Two eye observations here. Number one, if you don't admit in your own life that you are a sinner, you won't recognize that you need a Savior. A Savior is someone who identifies the fact that they need rescuing. Now, this is an amazing thing because a week or maybe it was a week ago, I was just talking about a friend who's going to share his testimony in just a moment. And in the process of hearing that gospel, one of our own high school students, a high school student, told John that he had never prayed that prayer and he accepted Christ in our service while he's listening to the testimony of the guy you're going to hear from in just a few minutes. And so Jesus didn't come to make you feel good. Now, it didn't, he didn't come to make you feel miserable, but he didn't come to make you feel good. He came to rescue you. The problem is a lot of us in life think, I don't need any rescuing. I'm doing pretty good on my own. Now, let me tell you when a time when you're going to need rescuing. Have you ever been on that plane and they get on the announcement before you take off? Well, please buckle your seatbelt, blah, 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 blah. And the only ones that are cool, if it's Southwest, then they're kind of funny. Otherwise, they're boring, right? <laughs> and in the event of a landing, your oxygen mask will come down and your seat cushion can be provided as a, a water flotation device. I'm pretty certain I, yeah, I, and you go through all that and you think, that would be horrible. I'm thinking what I want most if that plane's going down is a parachute. So what if 
they said, hey, we have parachutes for everybody. Moses would say, yeah, 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 let me get back to my Kindle. I'm reading a good book. Just keep the plane in the air. You see, we don't see our need for a Savior because we don't feel like we're going to die or we're going to need a Savior. And so often, we don't come to grips with that until someone who we love dies or we're in a position where our mortality stares us in the face. And so ultimately, Jesus is God's solution to man's sin problem because that's why he's a savior. But notice, he's the Lord. They're not just the cuddly baby. He is the Lord. So number two, Jesus ultimately came to be your Lord. Now, we don't think of Lord because we think of you know, the feudal system uh, in England and I knight thee King John Nungester. You know, we don't, we don't think of that in terms of a feudal Lord. But what Jesus is, let's think of it this way. He's the CEO of your life. He's the boss. He's in charge. Now, young kids get that. They get the idea of who's the boss and who's in charge, right? It's mommy, right? And the big boss is daddy. And yet, daddy usually listens to mommy. And so, they're confused about who the big boss is, right? But Jesus ultimately came to be your Lord. He is your Savior, but He was born to die, and ultimately, He's the Lord. He's the King of kings. He's the boss. Now, watch this train of thought. Look at, in this verse, what, what kind of unpacks here. He was born in the city of David. Then I was thinking about David. David was a man after God's own heart. Our hearts need a Savior. That Savior is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the Lord. That's the thread in the scriptures. Now, in regards to the sign, the second revelation is this. He'll find this baby. You'll, this, what I'm saying is true, the angel's saying, but you're gonna, I'll prove it to you because you're going to find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, think about this thought. They are shepherds. They're smart guys. Then they're thinking this Messiah is going to be born Catch this again, he's going to be born where? I'm going to find him in a stable? Most scholars think it's a cave of some sort. If he's supposed to be the king of kings, doesn't he have the best PPO insurance program on the face of the planet? Shouldn't he be born in a, in a mansion? Shouldn't there be like security guards and all kinds of other uh, uh, amenities? You see... There's something you've got to know. The reason they gave him that little detail is because of this reason. God's signs are confirmation of his character. When God makes a prediction or he says something, he's going to do it. Now, many of you have studied the prophecies of the Old Testament relating to the Messiah and Jesus Christ. Micah 5.2 is one of those prophecies about where Jesus would be born. And we know, and if you've read any of Josh McDowell's stuff, you know that there's all these probabilities. But the bottom line, I believe that the angel knew that these shepherds weren't just going to buy it, even though they believed that it was an angel. Let's just check it out for ourselves. And in fact, he knew that there would need to be proof of what he had declared would be true. And these guys, sure enough, we saw later in the text, they did go check it out. And so I want to encourage you today. Some of you have been sitting here with me for the last three, four, five months. You're hearing me talk about the Bible. You 
you've heard the gospel, but you've never personally applied it to your life. Maybe you think that's for some other time, for somebody else. But for you, you've got to check it out, and I encourage you to check it out. The Bible and God's truth and Christianity will withstand your scrutiny. No offense, but I know you think you're smart, and you've got it wired. Believe me, I got my two buddies who are playing racquetball, and one of them is going to come tomorrow night, I think. I'm not, I'm not going to do vegan for a week to get him to come, like I told you before. Some of you weren't here. Uh, I, I, I ate vegan for an entire week so that Emery would come to our Christmas Eve service a couple years ago. She had great recipes. You heard it from the front row. But I'm telling you, that is not a fair trade, let me tell you. And so, but the bottom line is, these guys are needing proof. They, they want to search it out. And so I want to tell you, at some point, you've got to go from being curious and checking it out to being convinced. Now, I've got a friend here. His name's John Beaming. He's going to come up here right now. He's never done this. He's looking at me like, really, am I doing this? He's doing this. I told you his story last week. I met John. I just told him that I met you, you last all week. These people. I, I'm prepping him for you right now. And so the bottom line goes like this. I met John two years ago. And by the way, his wonderful daughters are in the front row. And I told him this is a great photo op to get a picture of their dad to send to their sister. All right? And so John came. Come on up here, John. You can stand right up here next to me. I'll move over. Get you center stage here. John. Yeah? Would you take a seat between my daughters, please? And you're just going to tell the story? I'm going to do my best. All right, I'm sitting I've down. I've stood up in front of so many people in my life, so please bear with me. I will try not to ramble. John gave me two minutes. So, or more. Let me sit down. John, I guess, told you I came to him two years ago. Two years ago, he, we sat in his office a number of times. This is after my wife passed away. I was looking for answers. Well, to get to this point kept asking me, why haven't I come over to the good side? That, that, that is true. That is, I'm doing the best I can on this. So anyway, I told him I didn't feel I was good enough. I just felt my sin was so great that I don't think I could do it. I really didn't. I was doing things like reading the Bible, praying, I was trying to do good deeds in the community. What I, did, what I didn't understand was, I didn't understand I needed a relationship with Jesus Christ, our Savior. I did a lot of praying, a lot of counseling, a lot of fellowship. What I did discover is, God will accept me as I am, my sin and all. He will forgive me for my sins in the past, He'll forgive my sins in the future. He died on the cross for my sins. And all I had to do was ask him to take control of my life. He was my savior. And I know if I ask him to take control of my life, my life would change. And it has. It started on November 20th. I got up at Early in the morning, I like to fish. 
I was going down to the ocean. It was very low tide. I took my rod and reel. I really wasn't going to do any fishing because usually at very low tide, you can't catch any fish. When I got down there around 5.30 in the morning, there was already a family there. There was a man and a wife and his two kids. Um, the man and wife were fishing. The kids were playing, and it was awful cold, but they still were playing. This was on November 20th, right before Thanksgiving. I moved closer to him, and I asked him, why are you down here this time of day trying to you know, fish? Usually it doesn't happen with very low tide. Well, he turned to me and said, because I'm here for my dinner. And that touched me. And this is the first time I ever said it to somebody. I said, would you like to pray? It's going to be very hard for us to catch fish today, but let's pray together and see what happens. Well, as I can tell you to make it short, after a lot of hard work, we did catch about five fish. But after a little bit more hard work, I caught the biggest bar perch I've ever caught, I've ever seen at that time. At that point in time, he took that big fish, and he went off to make his dinner that evening. God got my attention at that point in time. He actually answered a prayer that I started. At that point in time, I surrendered myself to, to the Lord. I've asked him to take control of my life. And he has. I have simple things that have happened to me. I used to listen to a rock and roll station, the playlist. I don't know if anybody's ever listened to it. But I went to listen to it, and then it turned to religious music, uplifting religious music. Something that I really appreciated. There's not a lot of talk. There's a lot of good music. It's called Force One. And the radio station is 92.7, if anybody's interested. I have enjoyed it ever since. I drive a bus for a living. I'm basically semi-retired. Unified, uh, Moore Park Unified School District. I play that station. The kids just love it. Um, before that, we played a lot of other rock and rolls. And but this time, they've grasped the hold of the music itself. I myself become a little bit more calmer, at least I hope I have for my children. <laughs> and I always look for God for the answers, since he is in control of my life. My, one of my daughters, my youngest, just turned 18. At 18, she wanted to go get a tattoo. I know most, a lot of people don't like tattoos, but she wanted a tattoo to honor her her mother, who passed away about three years ago. And I said at the same time, you know, I'm going to do, I'll get a tattoo with you. <laughs> so we all went down on her 18th birthday on a Tuesday night, and we got tattoos together with my other daughter with us also. <laughs> my tattoo reads, honor God, love your family. And I wish you all a very Merry Christmas. Thank you very much. I love, that? <laughs> I love you, John Bean. I love you. He didn't need any notes, did he? See, that's what happens when God changes your life. But as we think about not only the confirmation of his character, what the angel was saying by describing his birth in a manger is that Jesus' birth, point number two, is a preamble to his death. You've heard that he was born to die. 
The, the manger may very well be the most humble and disgusting place to be laid as a newborn baby. There are no amenities. There are no soft blankets. There are no earthly comforts. Now, I know this because the Scriptures tells me this, but I just can't fathom a baby being born like that. And I'm going to tell you, there's a, there's a, on the History Channel coming up in March, Roma Downey and Mark Burnett, you know Mark Burnett, the producer of Survivor, a bunch of shows, they have put together a 10-hour series called The Bible. And I was invited to a special screening about a month ago. And if you've been on the internet, if you just Google CeeLo Green, there's a clip from that of the birth of Jesus, their reenactment, and it, it's horrific. It, it's, 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 it will turn your stomach. This was no cuddly little experience. And so they've illustrated probably one of the, you know, as movies go, it'll be a five-part series on the History Channel. It'll conclude the final two-hour segment on Easter night. And so we think of this, he entered the world with no dignity. John Ortberg says it this way, he would have been known as a mamzer. That's a child whose parents weren't married. I won't get into the whole betrothal thing, but they weren't not yet married. All languages, he says, have a word for mamzer, and all of them are ugly. You see, his cradle was a feeding trough. His nursery mates were four-legged creatures. He was wrapped in rags. He was born in a cave, targeted for death, raised on the run. John goes on to say he would die with even less dignity, convicted, beaten, bleeding, abandoned, naked, shamed. He has no status. This child in Bethlehem would grow up to be a friend of sinners, not of Rome. He would spend his life with ordinary and unimpressive people. He would pay deep attention to lepers and cripples, to the blind and the beggar, to prostitutes and fishermen, to women and children. And as we know, over those 33 years, he began slowly to build a quiet movement that began at the bottom of society and would undermine the pretensions of the Herods. It was a movement that was largely underground, like a cave around Bethlehem where a dangerous baby might be born and hidden from a king. He came into the world with no dignity. And so his death then is the postlude to this preamble. And the cross, in contrast as well, may be the most horrific and disturbing place to be laid to rest as a man, born here, resting in a manger, born to die on the cross, laid to rest, both horrific. Now, that's in contrast to all of you ladies. I'm pretty sure most of you gave birth in a hospital. If not, you gave birth in, at home with, uh, you know, some kind of a, of a midwife. And so, we have this other vision of what it should be like. Jesus didn't look like this. I think there's a picture. Maybe not. Did we skip those pictures before there? I thought there were some other pictures in there. 
It's a shameless moment. I, Jesus wasn't born like this. He wasn't, it wasn't all light and fluffy. That wasn't his birth. It wasn't all clean and natural. I know, a shameless grandpa moment. We'll continue. Thank you. So let's look at what the third part of the angel's message was. The reassurance and now the rejoicing. The rejoicing by the angels. Look at verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was only one and now there's a whole bunch, right? A suddenly a multitude of angels come on the scene. So what can we learn from this larger host of angels? Number one. Praise should be our natural response to God's grace. Praise should be the natural response to God's grace. Now, this unfolds quickly. See the word there? Suddenly. In fact, we know from the Scriptures, God often moves suddenly, doesn't He? When He's ready to make a move, He doesn't dilly-dally. Malachi predicted the sudden coming of the Lord in Malachi 3.1. The Spirit's coming at Pentecost was sudden. Acts chapter 2, verse 2, the appearance of the Lord to Saul on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, 3, it's dramatic. And the rapture, my friends, will come suddenly like a thief in the night, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3. The second thing we see about this praise rally is there's a lot of angels. A host is a military term. It's for a band of soldiers, an army encampment, too many to count. Thirdly, it includes singing, and the song they sang, we're going to sing to close our service, Gloria. The praise was loud and expansive. By the way, I don't know if the song we're singing is exactly the way they sang it back then, but we're going to do our best, all right? And it says that including singing in the highest, and that priority is upward. And then lastly, look what else was about this song and this praise. It initiated peace. So it came suddenly and involved a lot of angels. Number three, it included singing and initiated peace. And this isn't the peace that we think of. You know, the the Romans thought they had peace. The Pax Romana, Romana, uh, 27 BC, had been in effect for quite a while. But there is no peace until the Prince of Peace ultimately comes back for us to take us home to be with Him. You see, the absence of war does not guarantee the presence of peace. Now, there's all kinds of statistics about how often we've been in war since the birth of Christ. And literally somewhere on the globe, somewhere, someone's been fighting. There is no peace. We went through World War I, World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, and then endless other global skirmishes, so we as a country know there is no peace. And clearly we know there is no peace when events that happened in Newton, Connecticut at Sandy Hook Elementary School that took 20 students' lives, six teachers, a mother, and the gunman's own life. So you say, John, that's not very good news, but the good news is this, Jesus is coming someday, and all of that will be behind us. 
Jesus didn't come as a soldier, as a reformer, and that's why the Jewish nation missed it. They didn't see him as a savior. The text says he came as a savior. When he comes back, he comes back as Lord. Savior this time, Lord the second time. And so it's a message of peace to a world who's looking for shalom. Shalom. And lest we think that they didn't have it very difficult back then, I think the message is so appropriate for today as it was then. Think about what people were looking for at the birth of Christ. The Jews were under the yoke of Rome. They wanted, taxes were high, there was unemployment, morals were slipping lower, the military state was in control, they had lived through Roman law, Greek philosophy, and even the Jewish religion couldn't ultimately meet the needs of men's hearts. And so as we conclude today, the last point is, are you praising Him? Because that's what they did. That's what the shepherds did. That's what the angels did. The angels have the right idea. No matter what your situation in life is, we have a choice to praise Him. Now, we can praise Him for sending His sons, His Son. We can praise Him for the, what He's done in our life. But I'll tell you when you need to praise Him is when you feel least like praising Him. We... We talked about a number of issues, and Chad's going to come here in a moment, and we're going we're to worship him. But the idea of praise, it's easy to praise God when everything is going well. When your bright kids are 4.0s and they're the valedictorians of their high school, and your 10-year-old obeys you without whining and complaining and makes his bed every day. It's easy to praise Him when mom is an unbelievable cook and has the ability to turn nothing into something. It's easy to praise Him when dad is the life of the party and he's hugging his kids and families feel secure. It's easy when you're cuddling your grandson because time stops. It is easy when your closest friends in life are there for you because they're the ones who had your back when life was so dark. But I'm suggesting today the real message of the Christmas story is that life is difficult and we praise him in spite of not because of amen because when things are going well we expect to give God the glory but I know there's enough pain and hurt and turmoil and transition just in this church that our natural reaction could be bah humbug our natural reaction could be what in the world is God doing? Our natural reaction would be, not again. And so today, I'm going to ask you to take that thing that's bothering you, that's keeping you from praising Him, and lay it at the foot 
of this cross, of this stage, at your seats. Now, I realize that for some of you, this just is so foreign to you. Get up out of my seat, kneel down, indicate I've got to let go of something. Isn't my relationship with God supposed to be this just private thing? There is something about when we as a body admit we can't do it. When we admit we need a Savior, that somehow it's, it's comforting to know I'm in this with my family. And by that I mean my family, the body of Christ. And so today, if there's something you're praising Him for, but it's, it's been a tough year, and you just want to say, God, you are still Lord of my life. You're not trusting Christ with your salvation. You're trusting Christ with your life. Just come. Come and kneel and just once again say, thank you, Lord, and offer praise to him as you sing. Come and kneel. Kneel at your chairs if you want. But let's lift him up, and then we'll all stand in praise of him. Amen. Bow your heads with me as I close. Heavenly Father, we want to praise you today, but we are distracted. We're fearful. Maybe we're on a journey. We're curious. We're trying to muster up to be good enough. And in the end, we know that ultimately we want to praise you. And if you've known Jesus Christ as your Savior for a while, and maybe you're going through a difficult time, and it's, it's time to just praise him in spite of it. Would you look up at me? You're saying, I'm going to, by an act of obedience, I'm going to praise him. Amen. There's one. Someone else. The, you're going to praise him no matter what. No matter what. No matter what. No matter what. Just catch my eye. That's awesome. Anybody else? No matter what. No matter what. No matter what. All over this audience. In the back, I see those hands. No matter what. You're going to praise him. No matter what. No matter what. Well, let's do it. Let's lift him up. Come and kneel before him. He is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of loves. And then stand and lift your hearts in praise as we sing. Come now. Praise him. Lift him up. Amen. He is the King of Kings. He was the baby born to die. And so today, as we leave this service, we're reminded again that the angels praised him. The shepherds revered him. Almost two years later, the magi would bow before him. And so, as we leave today, be reminded that praise from your lips is something that God asks, but as Christ followers, it is our calling. Amen? Amen. Come and fellowship, talk to one another, and we'll see you tomorrow night. God bless.